0: Welcome to The Theology Podcast. It's great to have you with us for this episode of the podcast. And if this is your first time, allow us to introduce ourselves. I'm C.R. Wiley. I'm a pastor. I serve a church in the Pacific Northwest, and I've been a professor of philosophy, and I've written some books. And the latest book that I've written uh, was uh, In the House of Tom Bombadil. Tom, go ahead and... Introduce yourself.
1: Tom Price. I teach systematic theology and moral theology at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and a few other places.
2: And I'm Glenn Sunshine. I'm a retired history professor at Central Connecticut State University. I am a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview and a ministry associated at Reflections Ministries. And my most recent book, 32 Christians Who Changed the World, will either be out by the time this this show lands or will be out shortly, or so I'm told. Yeah, I've,
0: I've seen some of the promotional material, and it's great, and uh, the book is great. I've got an advanced reader's copy, and that's why I was able to actually blurb it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, just one more bit of housekeeping. If you are in the Pacific Northwest, uh, circle the dates May 5th and 6th on your calendar, because there's going to be a special event uh, entitled uh, the Traditional Fatherhood Intensive. I'm going to be speaking at it alongside Rory Groves and Nate Spearing, a couple of great guys, and we're going to be focusing on some of the sort of the fundamentals of fatherhood. And uh, as I noted, that'll be uh, here in the Pacific Northwest in southern Washington, right across the river from Portland, Oregon. It's an event that is about as non-Portland, Oregon, as you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I do want to talk about something that is very Portland, Oregon today. It's my day. Uh, I, I stumbled uh, upon an article by John Haight. Now, I've, I've heard of John Haight, but I I don't uh have much uh you know to work with with regard to him but uh his name has come up here and there but this particular article uh was published on his Substack but also uh on the Free Press we'll put a link in the show notes to the article so folks can get a hold of it but here's the title why the mental health of liberal girls sank first and fastest okay Let me read that again. Why the mental health of liberal girls sank first and fastest. So uh, the subtitle, uh, at least in the free press press, uh, edition of this article, is We are a decade into the largest epidemic of adolescent mental illness ever recorded. It's time we started treating social media like automobiles and firearms. Fascinating subtitle. But let me just summarize briefly Uh, what is being addressed in the article. First of all, this is uh, a set of reflections upon some uh, work uh, and research done uh, on the mental health of young people. And what has been discovered is that uh, there are significant differences in terms of how young people are doing based upon their political and philosophical outlooks. Um, and there's also a big difference between, uh, girls and boys. And what, what we've learned is that things have gone from bad to worse, uh, with the mental health of all young people across the board since about 2000 and I think it's uh, 2009 or so. Um, Things weren't great before that, but uh, in terms of the uh, depression scores by, uh, you know, for all categories, all four, male, female, uh, and liberal uh, conservative, uh, they've all gone up for all classes, but they've gone up most dramatically for female liberals. Male liberals uh, are right behind them, then female conservatives, and then male conservatives which, again, is all, I think, worth reflecting on. But um, what this particular article is interested in exploring is what is it about these different political orientations or philosophical orientations which makes uh, the members of that particular group, say, liberal women or liberal girls, conservative boys, what makes... What makes that those outlooks uh, and those well two classes, male and female, uh, lead to such uh, remarkably different rates of depression and uh, just uh, misery? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's that's kind of a summary of the article and uh, what it, the article is about. I'm wondering if you guys though before we dip into some specifics have any kind of a, kind of a impressions that just yeah. the statements that I've made uh, have have produced in you?
2: Yeah, uh, it's it seems to me that a lot of what we're seeing here um, is an effect of a couple of different things uh, revolving around uh, ideas in critical theory. Um, the idea that if you're oppressed, you're virtuous and therefore you should think of yourself as oppressed whenever possible. And if you fall into certain categories, there's plenty of room for promoting guilt and things like that. Um, And then along with that, there is more recently sort of an untethering of identity from reality. Mm -hmm. And I think I've said on the podcast before, I can't think of anything more terrifying than telling people you have to define yourself without regard to any, you know, any categories imposed by anybody else, including the past, including biology, including family or tradition. You just define yourself any way you want to. And they think this is freeing. It's actually absolutely terrifying.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that does relate to this, to, to the, to the findings but there's a fascinating uh, approach that this particular
1: article takes that I don't think we've gotten into before, Tom. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would, uh, you know, I think, you know, double on what Glenn said. Um, I think th- those two are definite, definitely set conditions for um, the anxiety that drives towards. Um, uh, you know depression. Um, you see this with young people as a whole, with with all the reference points that we've been given as a good by the created order: community, social life, family life, defined specifically with with real built-in purposes that allow for flourishing. Um, when one is untethered from that, one has to kind of bear that burden all by themselves, and and that that's not only a sense of lostness. Um, but a directionless and so they they kind of move towards you know social, social affirmation um, of you know their chosen identities which are very weak and insecure to begin with because they're grounded in in what they feel about themselves and so when that affirmation isn't isn't coming through that vehicle you could you can really tell that that could set a lot of conditions up for depression and anxiety. Um, but top, you know, one last point on that is a lot of liberal females, in particular, are from kind of what classically would be the real privileged classes, and so they do not fit in the identity group of the privileged. You know, marginalized or in the intersectional, um, you know, web, and so therefore they have to go overboard in their victimhood um, in order to be received within that affirming community. Yeah, I think that that ties in as well. Uh, but again, there's
0: there's something here that's worth thinking about, and uh, that is uh, all four of these categories uh, have been getting less well. So the, the mm-hmm. it's just the rate at which the... Uh, the depression and the negative effects for mental health being felt by each of these groups. Let me just read a few things here uh, to provide some further context for our conversation. So this is the opening. This is the opening paragraph in May 2004. Uh, Greg Lukanioff, I think that's how it's pronounced, invited me to lunch to talk about something he was seeing on college campuses that disturbed him. Greg is president of FIRE, F-I-R-E. Now, some folks out there are familiar with FIRE. I am, as I imagine you guys are, the Foundation for Indiv- Individual Rights and Expression. That's what FIRE stands for. And he was, uh, has worked tirelessly since 2001 to defend uh, f- the free speech rights of college students. That almost always meant pushing back against administrators who didn't want students to cause trouble and who justified their suppression of speech with appeals to the, quote, emotional safety of students, end of quote. Appeals that students themselves didn't buy. But in late 2013, Greg began to encounter new cases in which students were pushing to ban speakers, punish people for ordinary speech, or implement policies that would chill free speech. These students arrived on campus in the fall of 2013 already accepting the idea that books, words, and ideas could hurt them. Why did so many students in 2013 believe this when there was little sign of such beliefs in 2011? So, uh, he goes on to say, uh, what Greg saw in 2013 were students justifying suppression of speech and the punishment of dissent using the exact distortions that Greg had learned to free himself from. And what were those distortions? Well, they were cognitive distortions. So apparently this guy uh, suffers from depression. And one of the things that he learned about is cognitive behavioral therapy, which mm-hmm. I think is a kind of psychologizing of the stoic school of thought. <laughs> As mm-hmm. I looked into it, that I, I, it seems what it, 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 that's the impression it made on, on me. But anyway, um, if you want to be resilient uh, become a Stoic. That's what stoicism is all about. <laughs> <laughs> students were saying that an unorth- unorthodox speaker on campus would cause severe harm to vulnerable students. they would uh, they were using their emotions uh, as proof that a text could should be removed from the syllabus. Greg hypothesized uh, that if college support uh, that if colleges supported the use of these cognitive distortions rather than teaching students skills of critical thinking, which is basic to CBT, then this uh, would cause students to become depressed. So that was the idea. So he, he summarizes sort of the outlook of these young people uh, with three great untruths. The first is, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Now we know that that's an inversion on, the, on, the, on sort of that Nietzschean uh, affirmation that what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. So that's number one. Number two, always trust your feelings, hmm. which is what every Disney movie since, I don't know, you know, hmm. you know 1990 uh, 90 has, has essentially taught young people. And then three, life is a battle between good people and evil people. Con- contradicting what Solzhenitsyn told us, which is the line separating good and evil runs through the heart of every human being, and that's a fundamental affirmation of the christian faith we all struggle uh with sin we all have to wage war against the flesh anyway so these are the the things that uh more or less uh these young people have uh come to embrace these three untruths but how did that come about is something that the rest of the uh article gets into but any uh, sort of thoughts you guys have on any of that at face value, I think it, it just makes a whole lot
2: of sense. Um, you, When you listen to the rhetoric of some of the people on college campuses, it really does fall into, um, well, cognitive distortions. I'm not that familiar with uh, with uh, CBT, but from what I understand, it identifies a certain number of things that are, are common cognitive distortions that can drive you to depression. And it seems to me that, a lot of the nonsense, frankly, that goes on on college campuses, and I would imagine in the larger culture, really represents just simple distortions of reality in ways that I think would facilitate
0: a slide into depression. Right, right. So, you know, what I think that the uh, analysis that this article uh, presents is, is sound. And that is that the notion sort of like the, the conviction is that, uh, that these young people possess is that the reason why they have these ideas is because, uh, the world is a terrible place. Mm -hmm. Um, what in fact seems to be the case is the reason why these people think that the world is a terrible place is because they have these ideas. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, so it's a, you know, uh, It's a, it's a, in one sense, a a kind of a chicken and the egg thing, but on the other hand, uh, not so much the case. So, uh, let me just give a, give you a quote. This is referring to what's referred to as generation Z and I've lost track of generation X, Z, whatever, Y, whatever. I don't know what we're on, but you know, in other words, people younger than myself, uh, reality makes generation Z depressed. Uh, that was the, the thesis that some liberal, uh, commentators, uh, Proffered uh, in uh, sort of response to the to the analysis of the of the data, and, uh, and by the way, I'll get to the data in a minute. Uh, it's, it's this actually doesn't fit the data according to this article, and because of his knowledge of depression, this fellow Greg that I had already quoted, uh, he focused on the reverse path. Depression makes reality look terrible, which is what I was getting at a moment ago. <laughs> So let me take a look at, um, a couple of things here that, uh, is helpful in terms of helping us assess, um, just the state of, you know, sort of the mental state of young people. Uh, and then let's get into maybe the reasons what, that we can come up with for why there's such a significant difference between, uh, boys and girls and between liberals and conservatives. So there was a question that, uh, was asked in the course of a Pew uh, research survey. Uh, there were 12,000 people surveyed in March of 2020 in the first month of the COVID shutdowns. And the survey included this item, quote, has a doctor or other healthcare provider ever told you that you have a mental health condition, end of quote. So that's the question. Now the responses are fascinating. Uh, as I think listeners already expect me to say, uh, based on things I've already said, uh, for conservatives the numbers were lower than for liberals, but they were also lower uh, as you got older. So uh, in every category, women were higher. So uh, in you know among conservatives and moderates and liberals. Uh, But for liberals, the numbers are off the charts. Uh, Literally, uh, the chart we're looking at, it's off the chart. (laughs) And and for young liberal women uh, ages 18 to 29, they are twice as high as they are for liberal women ages 65 and plus, or 65 and older, and twice as, uh, uh, as much, or the number is twice as great, for uh, liberal women uh, ages 18 to 29 as they are for women uh, who are conservatives ages 18 to 29. Hmm. Well, Chris,
2: you know, this is obviously just an example of the way the patriarchy has <laughs> influenced uh, medical questions and and that sort of thing. I mean, it assumes <laughs> that they don't, they aren't really oppressed and don't have a good reason to to to. Um, be, and, and of course, it, it's it's all on the basis of what men think as um, a <laughs> mental. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I can envision it going that way. Oh, sure. Sure. I've, yeah, you've, yeah. I've heard the same
0: sort of thing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But these are these are. Uh, oh, and by the no, way, e- for those of you who don't know me, that was tongue
0: in cheek. <laughs> that's, right. that's right that's 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 glenn making a joke <laughs> anyway uh but uh you would think that liberal women uh particularly young liberal women would be hip to your your comments there mm-hmm. but in other words in other words you you would think they would say yeah the only reason why i feel this way is because of this but that's yeah. not what how they're responding they're actually saying that no other people have said uh so that's the other thing about this so this is some this is a a diagnosis uh apparently being made by someone in the medical profession a healthcare provider uh who's saying to uh these different people you got a problem and um i'm a, i'm just based on my you know sort of sort of uh sample just kind of in terms of my own personal experience I would say that probably people in the healthcare profession trend left more, um, generally speaking. So uh, if we're talking about psychologists and psychiatrists, we're probably talking about people who were on the left-hand uh, side of the political spectrum. And we're probably talking about uh, a lot of women who are uh, making these comments to these, these people.
1: Yeah, and it, it is uh, – the field now is radical left. Uh, it is – I mean you you do not get through those programs without be thoroughly indoctrinated in radical left-wing everything um it is there's no way out of the program so you it's going to only get worse and and the thing is I mean again it, it's this continuous circle that they'll never get out of so they'll always need to have therapy right I mean you know you can't you know other than suicide um, you cannot, get out of the created order, no matter how much you try, no matter how much technology you use to control it and yourself and everyone else and shut down all opposition. It's just, it's going to seep through the cracks. And as long as you do not correspond with reality and it's full, it's both its fallenness and and, and it's created um, intention for redemption and culmination you're going to be restless and you're going to end up being depressed. The world isn't going to work on your terms and it's not always going to work out the way you want it to. Oftentimes, ultimately, everyone apart from the return of Christ and and his coming kingdom is going to die, right? So these are things that have to fit into your your realism vision, right? And, And then when you take away, you know, God given gifts of things like family and having children. And you take them off the plate and say your fulfillment is going to be found in, you know, how much money you make and how many places you get to travel all your life. And then you're always depressed because somebody can make more than you or that, that man at work who, you know, maybe has a job higher than you got it and you didn't. I mean, you're, you're going to endlessly be in this cycle of, you know, not just restlessness, but depression. If you're you are not going to end up being, you know, able to make reality conform to what is going to you think make you happy, right? Yeah, and then that, that brings up
2: the C.S. Lewis quote that he said that you know the it, within you know the purpose of life in the past used to be to conform yourself to reality, now it is to try to conform reality to your will. Of course, oh, yeah. paraphrase, but it's basically what he, what yeah. he said. And, and that's what you're talking
0: about here. It doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, th- I think uh, this gets at at the heart of um, the way this writer, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Haidt, is approaching the subject of um, liberal versus conservative. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. I want to address one possible objection and one the the objection uh that i'm about to address has to do with what some of the people who are you know on the left who got a hold of these uh results uh how they interpreted and responded to to this basically their 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 theory was that uh you know the presidency of donald trump uh had (laughs) had uh created this this crisis and had just destroyed the mental well-being of, of just lots of people. But uh, that, the problem with that is the data doesn't bear it out. The numbers started to shoot up during the presidency of uh, Obama. So uh, the, there's a, a remarkable graph here that shows that it's right, right about the year 2011-2012 when uh, the numbers started to shoot up uh, for, uh, female liberals and male liberals. You would think that since they were running the show that, you know, that at least the part, the people that they thought should run the show were running the show, uh, that would make them happy, but it didn't. And actually, uh, they were getting, uh, more, uh, distressed the longer Obama's presidency lasted. <laughs> now it didn't come to, did, they didn't start going down when Trump became, uh, president. Uh, so it's not as though, uh, there's a, causal relationship between Obama's presidency and these numbers, but there's, uh, there's no, there's a correlation, but not, not any cause and effect. And the numbers continue to rise, uh, during, uh, the presidency of, uh, Trump. So there's that, but I think, I think the thing that, uh, came out of this article that was useful for me with regard to uh, the frame of mind of the of the part of the people who are playing or, or are participating or responding to the survey questions is this there is a, essentially uh, a fundamental difference between liberals and conservatives when it comes to uh, the source of their distress or the source of their um, I guess w- what needs to be addressed in order to, to be happy and this gets us to to, to sort of external causes versus internal. So young conservative uh, men are the most internally um, motivated of the four categories and uh, the uh, uh, liberal girls, liberal women are the most affected by external um, inputs. Now that means that for uh, apparently if, if, if I'm following this, sort of the sort of the sort of the internal logic of this uh well everything has to go right for uh a person who's attuned to external inputs to be happy in other words everybody must affirm me all the time (laughs) In in order for me to be happy uh whereas with the internally directed person there's a there's a sense of well you know, some people are just idiots and <laughs> I think I'm right. <laughs> I'm just going to continue to pursue uh, what I think is the best course of action, whether other people like it or not. And one of those two approaches is more conducive to happiness than the other. And it's the internally directed person who tends to be happier than the person who is externally directed. And that I think is, is tremendously significant. And this is why Social media plays such an enormous role in this whole uh, mental health crisis. Well, let me just read uh, a paragraph here from uh, the article. There are at least two ways to explain why liberal girls became depressed faster than other groups at the exact time, around 2012, when teens traded in their flip phones for smartphones and the girls joined Instagram en mass. The first and simplest explanation is that liberal girls simply use social media more than any other group. Uh, in Jean Twings, Tweng, I think that's how her name is pronounced or his name. I'm not sure if it's male or female. Forthcoming book, Generations, is full of amazing graphs and insightful explanations of generational differences. In her, she. In her chapter on Generation Z, she shows that liberal teen girls are by far the most likely to report that they spend five or more hours a day Hmm. on social media. 31% of self-identified liberal girls spend more than five hours a day, as much or more than five hours a day. Now think about that. They're probably underestimating. (laughs) I know whenever I'm asked that kind of question, I always underestimate. So uh, anyways, 22% Uh, for conservative girls. Now that's fascinating too. So both categories of girls are spending uh, in in average, uh, much more time on social media than boys, 18% for liberal boys. So so 5% of liberal boys, I'm sorry, uh, uh, 18% uh, of liberal boys spend uh, more than five five or more hours on social media. And then just 13% for conservative boys. So there seems to be a, a strong set of con- connections there between, um, the mental health of each group and how much time they spend on social media. And then the question is, is why, at least in my mind, why, why are the liberal girls on the, on the phone? So stinking much, um, <laughs> is there, there's something about, I, I think it's, I think that, you know, what we have here, uh, circumstances seem to indicate, or at least the data state seems to indicate there really is a difference, between boys and girls. And I think we talk a lot about, you know, the negative consequences of of boys spending too much time online with porn and video games. Uh, And certainly those things are going to hurt those guys. Uh, But at the same time, you don't hear nearly as much about girls and the negative uh, consequences of spending too much time on social media, in places like Instagram and TikTok.
1: Any thoughts on that? Well, a couple of things come to mind. I mean, again, I don't know how the statistics break down. I mean, I I imagine young teenage girls, for instance, who who may be liberal out of popular reasons, maybe not yet fully indoctrinated into it, although they have dispositions that way. They they may be on there for different kinds of reasons, um, some of which are probably, again, um, social affirmation, attention. Um, you know, everybody wants to kind of, you know, it's an avenue for which everybody can kind of be a star in their own way and in their own world. And and they probably eat feed off of that external affirmation. Um, but then when you get into, you know, you're talking a little bit older and someone maybe who has done a degree or a couple of degrees in their graduate program, uh, you know, is the same, same statistic holding there, um, that would be more troubling. <laughs> I think it would explain I, I suspect depression. it is. <laughs> <laughs> it explains the depression. there's no there's no life going on at that point other than um constant uh, in, you know, constant negativity towards the world. It's patriarchy, all the injustices and everything in their degree programs and in their diversity trainings at work. And then they're online uh, getting, you know, if they're not getting affirmed the right way, it's confirming all of that <laughs> negativity. <laughs> it well, really is. That's, a dep- again, another circle of depression, de- depressive circle. But well, yeah, but there's we're, another we're, side of it, though,
2: Tom. And that's that people on social media, um, your influencers and people like that are always yeah. showing them at their best um, yeah. they're, they and when you look at your life compared to what they are presenting to you, your yeah. reaction is my life sucks. Right. Yeah. So it works both ways. You've got the messaging on the one hand, you know, the negative yeah. messaging on the one hand, but even the more, well, apparently positive thing means you suffer by comparison. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, it, it, well, I mean, it's an interesting there that whole notion of influencer. To, uh, you know, to start with, I don't know a lot about that. I've, I've I've heard it, but I I have to admit I haven't had the interest to listen to any of these um, influencers, largely because I have different spiritual interests on the whole. One of which is reading, studying, mu- you know. Higher substance of music and the like, and that's just one of the things I think uh, I think that I'm noticing is that the spiritual vacuity of the influencer filling a void which it doesn't have, other than the the kind of, like you say, glamorized, uh, you know, um, virtuality, if you will, that kind of presents an image that maybe they could have too. Um, If they only kind of, you know, would follow in the steps of this, you know, the old the the old philosopher, but without the substance. Right. Um, You follow in their school and you kind of give all your resources and time to these people. It makes them more famous. And all the while you get their, you know, you get their insights and how to be like them, an influencer and, you know, have the good life. Yeah. As a pastor, I see this.
0: You know, literally from the pulpit, I'll, I I'll look out over the uh, over a congregation and I'll say that girl is miserable. I just look yeah. at her, her expression, um, her deportment. Um, she may not be the you know a beauty queen, but she's she's also not ugly. I mean, she's she's attractive in an average sort of way, but she's miserable, and I can't help but su- suspect that what you mentioned, Glenn, has something to do with it. Now. There, there's an odd, I think, set of things that seem to be seem to contradict each other, but are held together. I, I think very often in a girl's mind. For one, there's a kind of a, there's a there's a sense of being attuned to social dynamics in ways that sometimes guys are less. Um, sensitive to, if you get my drift. So, you know, we'll joke you're, all you're the being time. Very, about it. You're being very gentle there, Chris. <laughs> oblivious is the word I would use. <laughs> but, but this is, this is where being oblivious is an ups, upside thing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people will make fun of say maybe the so, sort of the, the autistic tendencies of, of boys who are maybe so wrapped up in nerding out on a particular matter that they are just Oblivious to how they're coming across, right? (laughs) They they just have no, you know, social intelligence or emotional intelligence, right? Uh, They're they're just kind of uh, like I said, uh, kind of geeking out or nerding out on a particular thing, and we will praise the girls for their social graces, for their awareness, that kind of thing, and those things are are worth praising. That there's a downside when you are too attuned. To the sort of social trends and dynamics uh, that are in, in in play all around you, um, then you find yourself v- more vulnerable uh, and exposed uh, to these things because you're, you're you're aware of what's going on. So here, here, let me give you an example of what I'm getting at. Uh, this is back to the same paragraph. Uh, I stopped reading at a certain point. I'm going to read it, uh, again. Because this, uh, this relates to Twenge, or Twang, shows in another graph uh, that from the 1970s through the early 2000s, liberal girls spent more time with friends than conservative girls. So, this, I think, uh, um, reinforces my observation that we're talking about highly uh, attuned uh, girls to social trends and dynamics uh, that often Maybe conservative boys are either oblivious to or could care less about. Maybe if they are aware of them, uh, but this makes them vulnerable. And when it comes to the influencers on Instagram, you know they're picking up on these social, these subtle social cues uh, yeah. that communicate status. And they're saying, as they think about themselves, as you know, to Glenn, I don't measure up. I'm not mm-hmm. as attractive yeah. as that girl. And then this brings uh, another th- kind of feature into play. Many times we will say, uh, you know, boys are just more competitive uh, in character by nature. Uh, but I think what that misses is that the competitive uh, tendencies among girls just are expressed differently. So you yeah. get the mean girl phenomenon, and you'll <laughs> see, you'll see this in certain places in social media. Where uh, a girl just is suddenly the object of everyone's hatred. Well, think about J.K. Rowling. She went from being, you know, uh, you know, on top of the world to, you know, universally hated by left wing people for just simply not backing down on her commitment to women being women and and men not uh, being treated the same way that women are because they think they're women. You, you get my drift
2: you know there's there's just an interesting observation here about etymologies um tom used the word glamorize um in terms of the the way the social media uh personalities sort of present themselves or they're, they're glamorized the word glamour originally meant um an illusion yeah <laughs> it was it was a magical illusion hmm. and i think that's that's really what we're seeing here that
0: it's an illusion that people buy into. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess, uh, you know, as, as it, get, you know, it comes back to mental health, here's the weird um, that sort of diagnosis, maybe not diagnosis, it, but, but a prescription, the weird prescription that isn't made explicit in this article, but it's implicit. And that is these girls need to be less sensitive to social influences. And consequently, need to become more resilient and more conservative in outlook. In other words, if we if we think of taking personal responsibility for yourself and being inner directed as being kind of the heart of conservatism, these girls won't be these these girls won't get uh, uh, well unless they get a little more conservative. Seems to be the implication.
1: Yeah, I mean I don't think there's a way out of the circle unless they yeah, unless they, they're delivered from the whole I mean, the idolatry structure that it's grounded in and centered around. I think a part of which is not not conserving those created gifts, <laughs> as you said, that uh, liberate one or increasingly help liberate one. They they tame the restlessness right i mean they don't they don't cure all ills they're fallen too but as they're the context of grace given to us um those those kind of steady barriers um that help one weigh the the you know unpredictability you know of life and and the the pains the suffering and also the disappointments and they help shatter like we said this kind of illusion um by help orienting us in, you know, connecting us with reality. Um, that's, what they, that's what they do. That's why they're here. And they orient us because, because they're directed, you know, they're directed towards our flourishing and ultimately our, our home in God. But, you know, and so to be un- disconnected from that in every way is, is you know, it, it is caught up, you know, it's, you know, what we would classically say is the self curved in on itself as much as it's influenced that by things outside of itself. And once you're locked in that circle, that's where the depression starts. That's where, you know, that's it's the worst place to be. Yeah, I think, I think you know, when we think about the
0: metaphysical uh, character of what we're talking about, I'm, I'm with you 100%, Tom. I think that's exactly right. But I think what this article is doing is it's taking a different road to the same uh, end. Mm-hmm. And what that road is is mental health, which is something yeah. I've never, uh, mm-hmm. in my own reflections on this, considered, uh, as being sort of fundamental, sort of key to this. So, you know, the three of us, we, we can, uh, fly at about 30,000 feet and just look out the windows and just smile and enjoy the scenery. But I mean, I'm (laughs) talking about the world of ideas, but the vast majority of people don't uh, enjoy flying with us.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now The, the yeah. pugsters punk, do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, and, and, but I, but I think it does, I do think it hits, I mean, it, you know, maybe it sounds like it's abstract and detached and in that high, but I actually think that's where it hits closer to home because I do think what's going on here is a, I mean, I don't think, I mean, like with hate's work, I don't think hate would think you could just shift from being, you know, ex, ex you know, externally, Kind of conditions to being internally driven. I think for him, you kind of have two blocks of people. If I've I've read something else he's done, Um, but I do think from a Christian point of view, you're not locked in. I mean, that's my point. I think there are ways in which you can, um, you know, it, it, it it is a life of conversion in many ways. You can actually change habits and practices and be related to things in a fundamentally different way and i mean i think the the concrete places are those places of relationship where we start not seeing them merely as instrumental to our gratification but actually gifts given to which we have something to give but they have something to give and and then secondly why are you endowed with certain things like the capacity to procreate the capacity to be joined to uh, you know, uh, a male in marriage or in a relationship. I mean, there's a whole host of things that you're given in the concrete that are being considered secondary or things that are just part of the patriarchy. And just merely, you know, just, just merely, I mean, to reject that, I'm not saying everyone has to get, you know, right, run out and get married or have children, you know, that that's going to end up being everyone's case. But I do think the way a lot of these females are related to relationships and friendships and life are very disconnected to, from the way created order has been given to them. And I think that's what I really mean when I say that, 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 that you, you cannot get out of the restlessness you know, t- just by technique. Yeah, there's another
2: side of this. We've talked about the kind of neo-Gnostic traits that that um, exist in our society. And what what we mean by that is that we ignore external reality and everything ends up being a social construct. And what's really important is uh, who you are on the inside and all that kind of thing. It seems to me that one of the things we may be looking at here is, the, is one of the many uh dark sides of that kind of Gnostic tendency because what what's happening is they're they're getting thrown back into themselves and uh, whatever external inputs they get just serve to drive dissatisfaction discontent and all of that and if reality is really what you perceive it to be uh, which is really at the heart of modern neo-gnosticism reality is is Uh, is not an objective thing, it's what's internal to you, then it seems to me that this is going to be one of the kinds of things that can easily drive this sort of depression.
0: What I'd like to do now is I'd like to think a little more about this, I think, tacit connection that's being made in this article between the, the tendency to see problems as having their origins outside us and our tendency to th- see ourselves as being, uh, problems that need, that need to be overcome. So let me, let me give you an example of what I'm getting at. So, uh, my mother was, uh, liberal and my mother, uh, died addicted to, uh, to powerful psychotropic drugs. Uh, I, uh, she was a person who was mentally fragile. Now I loved my mother and I, I, I owe her a great deal, but that's, these are simply, uh, truths. I, I saw them on a daily basis. Um, she really did rely on others to make her happy. And since they didn't, uh, do that very often, (laughs) she was miserable quite a bit of the time. Uh, now there were people who had harmed her in her life. There, it's not as though, um, she didn't have a basis, some basis for thinking that people had done, uh, things to her that were, that were hurtful. Uh, and, uh, she had, uh, she did experience injustice in her life. Nevertheless, uh, there are lots of people who have suffered just as much as her mother did, but had a much more sort of internal resilience. And, and, and even though some of those people might have, um, certain political, uh, sympathies f- for folks on the left, when it comes to their own daily lives, they're very directed, they're in- very internally directed people, if you know what I mean. Uh, they make decisions, uh, they control their expectations, they um, basically get up each day saying, uh, if it's going to be, it's going to be up to me. Now, they can do that in a faithful way and, you know, pray uh, and trust the Lord and and. Do what's right but yeah, i think you know what i'm getting at yeah. um uh, and that has been steadily eroded this this notion yeah. that you can take responsibility for yourself has been uh been uh, eroded over the last say 20 years so th- there's actually something more in this it's called the uh, locus of control scale so in the in the course mm-hmm. of the article there's a subdivision that's entitled How a Phone-Based Childhood Breeds Passivity. Hmm. And I think that's evident. Um, But so within this uh, uh, analysis of loss of, or or locus of control, there was a question that people were asked to respond to. And the the question has been asked uh, since the uh, mid-1970s. So we have a pretty significant sort of data set uh to look at and we can see that uh there has been a trend in a particular direction over that time and the question is every time i try to get ahead something or somebody stops me let me read that again every time i try to get ahead something or somebody stops me so obviously uh this is intended to get at whether or not a person feels like they have the power to make a difference in their own lives yeah. And increasingly over the years, uh, more and more people have indicated that I don't, but in terms of the, the response, I don't think I have control over my life. I, I really do believe I'm subject to the control or the influence of other people in ways that I don't like. So the numbers pretty much, uh, were the same for boys and girls, uh, up until that, you know, 2012 moment where we begin to see some break. Uh, In fact, boys were more often uh, likely to say this back in the 70s and 80s. Now, I suspect that the reason why boys were more likely to say that back in the 70s and 80s is because they were actually wanting to do things that were wrong. (laughs) 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 Having been a a, a man, a young man in, those, those ti- that, in that time frame, you know, a lot of those guys were wanting to smoke, drink, have sex and stuff like that and were hey, frustrated because hey. yeah. <laughs> they, they were not <laughs> permitted to do those things. Uh, and then uh, that started changing uh, and there was a flip. There was a, kind of a uh, uh, girls were saying it more uh, often than guys, generally speaking, from about the year 2006 on. Which I think is a fascinating thing, but this, but I think this is getting at kind of the political disposition of the of people on the left and the right. So people on the left uh, believe that it's social conditions that make the difference, right? And then we, we've talked about Rousseau, we've talked about the sort of the political sort of uh, tapestry that we we have on the left. And how people see the world. That's what I mean by tapestry. Um, they basically think that if the government does this or that, things are going to get a whole lot better. Whereas on the right, uh, you have people who more or less say, hey, it's your responsibility, Jack, to get your own act together. Don't expect everybody to kind of live your life for you or to fix up your problem for you. Um, now, the problem, there's, there are obviously problems with both. Sometimes, you know, there really are p- things. There really are injustices, and those need to be addressed. And that's when we can say the the liberal sentiment or the liberal outlook is onto something. On the other hand, we can say that sometimes people can have too much confidence in their ability to change their <laughs> situations. We can say that person is suffering from some kind of megalomania. <laughs> you know, so I think we got problems on both sides. But generally speaking, it seems that uh, if you want to be a mentally healthy person, if we're understanding mental health as being, you know. Uh, not being depressed, then it's uh, more empowering to look at the world the way conservatives do.
1: Yeah. and, and, And I think one of the things that I think I guess is important there is, I mean, on one hand, just from, you know, kind of, Good sound christian theology is that to part of to be a human creature is to be an agent right <laughs> and to enact one's creatureliness and to enact it in a way that uh, you know the, the freer it is the more it accords with what it's created to be and and for and so when that gets frustrated um And when you have either you, but I would call sort of hyper nurture um, where you have parents do everything for a child or a state or a a teacher or or institutions do everything for children to where they become incapable of anything other than, you know, you know, just following the direction of that authority to carry out, you know, for that authority to supply everything for it. And then it will kind of give its back. You know, its basic self back to those authorities. Um, that will incredibly create frustration and anxiety and fear when there is a threat to whatever that authority is providing that for one's life. One becomes helpless in a sense, and incapable. So I think this is a lot of what that definitely is onto. And I I figured, from what I remember reading of Hate's work, was this issue of control is very different. Self-control versus the feeling, the need to control basically everyone else. Right. Um, You know, that that kind of. And and you see that when somebody is hyper-dependent in unhealthy ways. Right, right that's where the totalitarian impulse really starts to show itself. That's, and so it needs to control everything external and, yeah. you know, and everyone online for that matter right. Um, right. in order for it to feel, you know, them to feel secure. And so, yeah, that, that, and I guess the flip side of that is how, how this is where you can actually talk about ways, you know, about virtue formations and actions of of developing healthy kinds of agency and virtue that allow one to kind of wean off of that kind of dependency and orient one's life in in much healthier ways and I think that's where that's where the right kind of virtue formation can actually habituate you in a way that the interior is more driven towards what you are as an agent than merely dependent now isn't it isn't it are-
0: ironic, though, that so much of this is occurring after years and years of happy self-talk and <laughs> and ceaseless affirmation uh, on the part of authorities. Uh, go ahead, Glenn. Yeah, well, I, th- I think that this, I think
2: Tom's comment there really points out why the liberal side of this is so important. Um, if you have this idea of, well, frankly, learned helplessness, you know, you're, you're a victim, you're, your circumstances <laughs> beyond your control are always um, messing you up, you can't get ahead. You know, as those graphs show. If if that's the case, then the only solution is someone on the outside imposing external controls to create an environment in which you are safe.
0: Right. Yeah. You know.
2: So this is why it it goes along with the uh, the support of of big government, the support of. Uh, silencing uh, anyone who disagrees with you on campus—all uh, of those kinds of things. Right. Uh, it, I mean, it, when you when you think about it in those terms, it really does make a lot of sense. If if okay. I am nothing but a helpless victim, then the only way for anything good to happen to me is if someone on the outside protects me.
0: Yeah, that, what's that uh, that term that you know people who are really into psychobabble love? Uh, uh, codependency, <laughs> yeah. so you have this weird codependency uh, yeah. with uh, these helpless people and, and, and authority figures. So the authority yeah. figures, maybe parents, helicopter parents, uh, but also um, authorities in the college uh, environment. You know, particularly administrators who are trying to justify their salaries. You know, we have all of these DEI, um, you know, administrators now at universities across the United States who have to justify you know, their jobs and how do they do that? Do they, do they justify their jobs by by saying, hey, everybody's great. I haven't had anything to do in weeks. Look how effective our programs are at helping people get along. No, no. The way they justify their, their, their employment is by constantly finding stuff to complain about, constantly encouraging people to identify microaggressions and
1: so forth. Yeah, well, that that you get—they have to keep the anxiety going. They they need to keep it going because they're they're seen as sort of the salvation, and so yeah, this is another one of those cycles. Um, and and the more you can create bogey figures, if you will, yeah. Patriarchy, you know, white. I mean, all this this notion that you know, yeah. redneck plumber Bobby at the end of the street is somehow out to get you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he's got control of the system. Right. You know, the most powerful man in the world. <laughs> really, good. he may be able to fix your toilet, but he definitely hasn't set up any system. Trust me. <laughs>
2: There's a, a demotivation poster um, on consultants that says if you're not part of the solution, there's real money to be made in prolonging the problem.
1: (laughs) That's That's what we're really talking about here. That's That's right. 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 And and it, it is the one who kind of, especially from within that anxiety driven world, it's the one who kind of peeks their head out, you know, kind of like, you know, kind of gets out of Plato's cave and runs back in and says, wait a minute, you're all in change. And they're the ones that are you know, targeted and killed because they, they upset that, that, you know, circle, that, that balance. And, and so, yeah, they pretty much kind of blocked conservatives out, you know, from, well, we we don't basically silencing them. We don't join in the pity party. Well,
0: here's, here's another thing. Again, you know, I noted earlier that there's a, there's an irony in implicit in all this, that all that happy self-talk has not done anything for anybody. Um, In fact, one of the ways that, they had, had, you know, in the course of this essay uh describe or uh, Jonathan hates uh, describes um kind of the mental state of a lot of these young people today is with something referred to as the self-derogation scale, scale. i don't know if you guys came across that but uh there are these uh, f- these statements and you uh, can either say yeah that's true for me or not and here's the first one I feel I do not have much to be proud of. So a lot of these young people who uh, are scoring high on the self-derogation scale are saying, yeah, that's true for me. I don't think I have much to be proud of. Next one. Sometimes I think I am no good at all. So these are people who are are desperate to be on the right side of history, uh, but at the same time, uh, really don't think that they're capable of doing much. Getting back to agency, as you brought up, Tom. I mean, I I, I feel sorry for these people. So here's another one. I feel that I can't do anything right.
1: Yeah. This, this is I mean, and
0: Then, yeah, and, this then is, and then here's the last one, just before you, you start. Mm-hmm. Your time. I feel that my life is not very useful. Now, that definitely ties into reality and, you know, the failure to connect with reality you yeah. gotta, you gotta actually know what, what is real in order for you to be of any use to anybody. <laughs> anyway, go, go, go for it, Tom.
1: Well, and I think one of this, this is one of the things I think that really is disturbing about like the critical theory, especially critical race theory and, and the like. It, it 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 exacerbates that kind of sense within those that kind of already feel, you know. On the margins, if you will, because what it does is say basically none of your agency matters. It's an illusion. The only one who has, the only ones who have real agency are the ones who have power or the ones that are in the majority. And so, you know, one, you might as well feel helpless. You might as well see it that you're never going to really achieve anything unless they get out of the way or they become an ally. All of these things that will crush a spirit. And a soul. And so this is, again, a way of creating this anxiety in which, you know, you, it sets the conditions up for, again, a totalitarian regime to come in and basically force everyone else to have to get out of the way to, to be the salvation and answer to this group that has no, no agency. And so, but think of what it does to the young, you know, this is why I've seen a lot of, for example, uh, you know, a lot of black men, fathers in particular, go out and, and stand up against the CRT strongly because they do not want their children growing up thinking that they have no agency and they don't have the ability to do great things and be be great um, to, to, to use their gifts in the widest you know reach possible. That, if they start with that premise, then they're creating a dependency on a power class to begin with in which it doesn't appear anytime soon they're going to have the kind of majority needed to be the the power center, and so and so. It, yeah, it, it it plays right back into this same circle, and anxiety, and then and then uh, you know denial denial of of one's endowments, gifts, and and agency.
2: Yeah, that that's been one of my biggest gripes about CRT and related things for ages. And it it, it doesn't matter whether we're dealing with blacks and whites. um, It could be uh, cultural. You know, Western Civ is so dominant that the only thing other cultures can do is respond to us. The only thing blacks can do is respond to whites. The only thing women can do is respond to men. You know, they have it. It teaches them that they're helpless and that they completely lack agency.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. Anyway, it's a worthwhile article. Uh, it's in the show notes. I encourage you to read it. It's about nineteen pages long. There are a couple of uh, there are a couple of things that are recommended at the end that I'm not sure would actually make much difference, but you might feel differently, uh, listener out there in podcast land. Uh, but I think we'll wrap it up with that. Uh, and thank you for making it all the way to the end of another episode, if you've actually listened to, to us before and gotten to the end of other episodes. <laughs> but if this is your first time re- uh, reaching the end of an episode, we, we, we want you to know we appreciate uh, the fact that you've taken time out of your busy schedule to listen to three old guys commiserate about the world. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, if you enjoy three old guys commiserating about the world, you can support us. <laughs> we don't actually take any money directly, uh, from the show, but we do have costs. We do pay other people to do the things to make the show possible. And if you would like to, uh, support, uh, you know, this, uh, this program and keep it going, uh, you can, uh, become a patron on Patreon. And there's a link in the show notes to our Patreon page. Anyway, I just want to conclude with, go ahead, Glenn.
2: Let, let, let's let just note on the Patreon page, we're revamping how we're working that, yeah. and we're uh, going to be putting up uh, bonus episodes and things like that for people on Patreon. Um, we, we had some warm-up problems with the earlier okay. approach, but th- this one I think is going to work.
0: Yeah, yeah we, we're, we're three old, reformed, forgetful guys who don't sometimes <laughs> show up to Patreon events. And so we figured, well, you know, we better do it differently if it's going to work for everybody. Uh, and uh, we've got some special gifts in store for those of the, the, those who have been giving to us and have put up with our, our failures on Patreon here in the past. <laughs> anyway, uh, with all those things said, thanks a lot for listening, and bye-bye. Bye. Bye now.
2: The Theology Podcast is a ministry of Trinity Reformed Church in Huntsville, Alabama. If you like this podcast, you might also enjoy the new book by Jason Cherry, The Making of Evangelical Spirituality, now available on Amazon.